Praise God. And so um, we, 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 we prayed. We had a little bit of a worship experience here on the consecration Zoom. And we're going to discuss a word that the Lord gave me this morning about faithfulness. He gave me the word faithfulness. And he gave me the inclination that he was referring to his own faithfulness. And so we're going to go into that. And we don't know where God's going to take us with that. But we're going to seek his face. And we've recorded it all. And we'll pray again just because we know that some of you coming in on the recording uh, want to be constant consecrated in, in unity with us, even though separated by time and space. Father, we pray, my God, for those who would listen to this recording or podcast on radio or wherever they came in contact with it, Lord, that you consecrate them into this moment, Lord, you consecrate them into this time with us right now, my God, even though we're separated by time and distance, Lord, you can bring us in, you can, knowing and having infinite forethought about what, infinite foreknowledge about what would happen and what will happen, you can consecrate someone into this call who was not here with it live. And we pray that you consecrate them into this moment and that you speak into their life and that you set the time and the place that they might listen to this recording, that it might enrich their soul, build them up in the spirit, make them stronger with you and deeper in an intimate relationship with you. We thank you, Dad. We love you, but only because you have first loved us. And we ask you for all the blessings, forgiveness, and glory of a son or daughter in Christ. In Jesus' mighty name. And the body of Christ says, can we get an amen? Can we get a shared amen here while we're live? If someone could just come off of you. Amen. 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 Praise God. Glory to God. So faithfulness, faithfulness, the faithfulness of our God. And so it always brings me back to these two immutable aspects of God's character. And we talk about this often in first century Christ Church. And we're going to talk about it again. And that is that God is perfect in his love. Man, that's amazing, right? Nobody knows anybody like that. Nobody's like that. Nobody's perfect. And probably the closest thing to perfect in their love is a mom, right? Because mothers, they have this special instinct about children because they know that the children came from them. Now, you know, scientifically, the man knows he made a contribution, right? And, and, and so scientifically, the, the man knows the child came from him. But whether the child acts like him or doesn't act like him, he didn't bear him physically out of his body. So he measures it a little bit differently. But moms, they know this child grew from out of my flesh, developed within my belly. And then I released that child from my womb. So probably the closest thing to God's faithfulness we might see is in a mother to her child. Okay. And God's faithfulness and his love goes beyond that. The closest thing we might see to the truth about God's love would be in a mother and God's faithfulness might be in a mother as she is towards her child. And since we're easier to understand natural things than spiritual things, we're using that analogy here to discuss the faithfulness of God. And so he's absolutely loving. He's perfect in his love. He loves you perfectly. Hallelujah. But the thing that's in the way of his love, his love is immutable, meaning it can't be silenced. But the thing that's in the way of his love for you and me is he's also perfect in his justice. He will not allow himself to be unholy. So his justice is perfect and his love is perfect. And his justice is immutable, can't be muted, can't be stopped. It must be satisfied. And his love is immutable. 
and perfect and must be fulfilled and must be satisfied. And God is perfectly sovereign because like we can have a love, right? But we have, we're not perfectly sovereign, right? We're not absolutely sovereign, right? So we don't have control over what is outside of our power or our sovereignty, but God is perfectly sovereign. So we're going to introduce a third immutable aspect of God. So if we just, and listen, there's so many different aspects of God. We could go on and on and on. We're not trying to give a definitive list of all the aspects of God, but we're going to discuss these three aspects today. The immutability of the sovereignty. He's perfectly sovereign and takes responsibility for everything that goes on. That's correct. When Satan tested Job, right? That test that Satan gave to Job, right? God took responsibility for it, even though Satan did it. God's perfectly sovereign and absolute in his sovereignty. He's perfectly loving and absolute in his love. And he's perfectly just and absolute in his justice. And so it becomes very difficult for us as disciples to understand all of that. I want you to start to try to break away from theological knowledge and let's get into the intimacy of relationship. Okay. So he loves you and in his perfect love, and in his perfect sovereignty, he wills advantage for you as his child, as a mother would will the, her, the, the development of her child and would, would desire the best for her children. So too, in an infinitely greater extent, God is infinite in his love and his compassion to see good things in your life. But his justice is also not mutable. And so since his justice is not mutable, there is now a wall of hostility between us and God. And so Jesus steps in between the wall of hostility and his blood, his death, burial, and resurrection brings back justification. Okay. Justice. Okay. And it says God is perfectly loving, right? But he's perfectly just, right? So Jesus comes in and justifies us so that it becomes justice that we be forgiven. But those forgive that forgiveness does have some conditions. It has the condition of a turned heart, right? Turn away from the sin in your heart. Okay. It has to seek grace, seek repentance. It has to seek forgiveness. Right. I think a lot of people want to say I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. And want to rely on God's faithfulness, but they're not relying on God's justice and love. And what's very interesting is that God knows us too. So he'll even extend his, and come on, some of, I'm sure some of us have this testimony. He'll even extend his faithfulness and his justice past our repentance and seeking forgiveness when he senses that our capacity to withstand is now been exceeded. How many of you ever felt God's love and God's forgiveness even in the midst of making a mistake? And you're making a mistake and you're cringing and you're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come in and start pounding you upside the head. And all of a sudden God goes, nah, it's okay. Just, you gotta get better with that though. It's okay, but you gotta get better with that. And you're like, wow, that's all God's gonna say? I thought I was gonna take a whipping. Right? Because in his perfect sovereignty, he knows more about us than we know about ourselves. And in knowing more about us than we know about ourselves, right? He's able to see 
when to bring in a disciplining uh, rebuke, when to bring in a correction, when to grieve you, because when you operate in a relationship and there's grief in the other person in the relationship, then there's going to be grief in you. You can you share the joy, you share the grief. And so in community with the Holy Spirit, you share the Spirit's joy and you share the Spirit's grief. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And so when we start talking about God's faithfulness, See, now the enemy likes to try to separate us from God's faithfulness. You know, in the garden, he first tricked Eve by telling God, telling Eve that God was tricking her. And then after he tricked Eve by telling Eve that God was tricking her, you are not like God, even though we said you were like him. You're really not like him because you haven't eaten this fruit yet. So he said, God's tricking you. He knows that when you eat the fruit, you then have a greater level of sovereignty than you had before. Because the sovereignty you have now is subjected to the Holy Spirit, but the sovereignty you'll have after you eat this fruit will be completely sovereign, and then you'll become, quote, unquote, absolutely sovereign over your own soul. And God has the capacity for absolute sovereignty, so you're not exactly like God because you don't have that. So he tricked her, right, to thinking God was tricking her. Then after that, he spends the rest of his time trying to convince us that God's not going to be faithful to us. And if he can convince us, you ever see a child who's disheartened because they don't have the love of their parent? And they become disheartened because their parents' love isn't there, right? Of course, the parent will come in and say, oh, my love is there. I don't know why you think I don't love you. Well, you spanked me. Well, you were disobedient. So I had to spank you to correct you. But that doesn't mean I don't love you, right? But have you ever seen a kid's face when they think they're not loved? So imagine what's happening in your spirit if the enemy is actually able to convince you that God's faithfulness isn't there for you, that you've crossed the line, that what you've done now is unforgivable, and the blood of Jesus can't cover that. Or this repeated mistake you made has now been repeated too many times for you to get forgiveness. God's not going to be faithful to you anymore in this area because Look, this is like you did this 17 times today. And 17 times you came back and asked for forgiveness. Come on, me and you know you're going to do it the 18th, 19th, and 20th time. So God already knows you're going to do it the 18th, 19th, and 20th time too. So stop coming for forgiveness with these crocodile tears because you ain't getting it. And Satan's a liar. Because see, in God's perfect love, you were never meant to be in this condition having a sinful nature. And he knows that Satan is the author of helping you get in that condition. And then you were born in that condition. So it's not like you could have ever been without that condition. So even though you are bearing the consequences of this circumstance, you are not the author of this circumstance. So his faithfulness knows no limits. And his love knows no limits. But he ain't going to shut down his justice. And see, this is where we run into a spirit of confusion dealing with our father. We run into a spirit of confusion when dealing with him because it's hard for us to fathom the absoluteness of all these things together. Absolutely sovereign, absolutely loving, absolutely just. How does that all work together in an unjust world? 
I mean, isn't that what the heathen says? There is no God because why is there all this wickedness in the world? God didn't bring the wickedness. He's actually brought the solution to the wickedness. Hallelujah. So this is what's caused a spirit of confusion. And this also affects the speed, the willfulness, and the commitment that we have to repent. You know, uh, there was a, a word to the church. I haven't put it out yet because I just haven't felt in my spirit that it's time to release it. I'll release it to you. The word to the church. Everybody's running around for a word, running around for a word, running around for a prophetic word, running around. And this is what the word of the Lord said to me. The Lord said to me, they're running around for a word and they're running around looking for this prophet, running around looking for that prophet. The word of the Lord, the word of the Lord is repent for the kingdom of God is here. That's the word of the Lord. Repent. Church, repent. Wow. Now, that sounds tough. That sounds harsh. That sounds hard. What he's saying is, I will, I will show myself holy before the assembly. I will show, listen, God had told Moses up on the mountain, listen, what we're doing here, tell these people, they better listen. In fact, God was so confident they wouldn't listen that when he went to visit them, he said, I know some people are going to try to rush the mountain or some people might try. You need to put up guards and then you need to put up a fence and then you need to put a blockage. Because I'm telling you that if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. He said, listen, I need you to understand this, Moses, and these people need to understand this. I will show myself holy. Holy means I'm going to operate in the fullness of my sovereignty. I'm going to operate in the fullness of my love. And I'm going to operate in the fullness of my justice. I'm going to operate in all three of those fullnesses. And I'm not going to make no exceptions. I will show myself holy before the assembly. So he told that to Moses. He warned me, listen, what we're about to do here. And me and you know, that's before Jesus. That's before grace. That's before the blood. That's before the indwelling spirit. That's before the adoption of as sons and daughters spiritually. So now what we're actually talking about is a religious practice. And what the Jews didn't know is that they were being made a symbolism to teach the world about the actual nature and, and character of God. That's what the Jews were responsible for, laying the foundation for the shadow of the glory of God in the spirit in the natural. And so God's like, that. this what we're about to do? There's no real buffer here. There's nothing to stop my justice from rolling. So I will show myself holy before the people. Moses, evidently, he told the people that, but Aaron's two sons didn't take it serious enough. So they put false fire on the altar, and fire came out of the altar incense and consumed them. Then he told Aaron, keep yourself well-kempt, and I don't want to see you even looking sorrowful, and you stand and do your function like normal. And he said to Moses, this is what I meant when I said, I will show myself holy for the people. I told you that the only fire that should go on the altar of incense was fire from the brazen altar. They didn't know that then, but we know it now. The prayers symbolize, the, the altar of incense symbolized prayers, and those prayers are only activated by the Holy Spirit, the fire of the Holy Spirit, and the fire of the Holy Spirit is only available through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
So the exercise they were doing to take the fiery coals off the altar and to use those fiery coals for the altar of incense to burn the incense up to the Lord was symbolic of Jesus making a way for us to pray to God in the spirit. So when they brought that foreign fire and put it on there, they were actually sending out a message. You have other ways to God in prayer in the spirit other than Jesus. So God destroyed them. I'm going to show myself holy before the people. Now, he will also show himself holy before you. What's saving you is the blood of Jesus. What's protecting you is the intercessory of Jesus. If there were no buffer, I think most of us admit we wouldn't be here right now if we had to face the judgment without Jesus. Wow, wow, and wow again. So what gets us sometimes caught up in a spirit of confusion is we think we're covered by the blood of Jesus without contrition, without brokenness, without repentance, without humility, without uh, uh, a turning of the heart. He didn't say, hear the good news. The kingdom of God is here. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is here. And we're always repenting in our life, in this life as disciples. We spend our entire life repenting. Repent for the kingdom of God is here. Every morning we're repenting. Several times a day we're repenting. And inside that broken and contrition, God abides with us and he's faithful. He's faithful. And he knows our limits. He knows our capacity. And he's walking with us in this discipleship to take us to the next place. Men and women of God, beware of idolatry in your life. This is an intimate relationship between you and your father. The faithfulness is not in a ministry. It's not in a pastor. It's not in a teaching. It's not in a theology. The faithfulness is in a person, the person of God, through his son, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit. And they all share in that faithfulness so that you're guaranteed a place in the glory of God, provided that you have satisfied his justice. Now, Jesus has already satisfied his justice. But are you abiding in Jesus? Jesus says, you're not abiding in me unless you're obeying me. He says, those who hate me, I shall hate. And those who love me, I shall love. He says, and those who love me will obey my teachings. Then you are truly my disciple. And then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Beware of idols. First century Christ church cannot save you. Apostle Kevin Britt cannot save you. The teachings of first century Christ church cannot in and of themselves save you. And whatever I speak to you cannot in and of itself save you. But what may result from the prophetic word, what may result from the teaching, what might result from being connected to a pastor, what might result from being connected to a ministry, what might result from being affiliated with someone who speaks in the prophetic about the nature of God to you, 
and preaches to you about the truth of God. What might result from that is the intimate relationship that can save you. Sometimes we get caught up in confusion and we start developing idolatries. And we are idolatrous by nature. And we're always looking for something to cling to. And that's why sometimes God has to introduce shaking things in our life. He got to shake our life up. Because maybe you're clinging to your husband. Maybe you're clinging to your wife. Maybe you're clinging to your family. Maybe you're clinging to your career. You know, it's not that you can't have a husband. It's not that you can't have a wife. It's not that you can't have a career. It's not that you can't have a, 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 an education. It's not that you can't have those things. When I'm talking about clinging, I'm talking about clinging to these things instead of the cross. And God says, if you, we cling to things that are not completely the cross, then that's a shakable thing. So sometimes God got to shake up your life. He got to shake you so that you can see that which is unshakable so you can get your clinging right. That's why Apostle John, the apostle of love, said, little children, beware of idols. I spend a good amount of time getting attacked in the Christian realm because I'm constantly emphasizing that point because God has revealed to me in the spirit realm that there's a whole lot of idolatry going on because it's easier. Maintaining an intimate personal relationship with God requires independent individual effort. Don't get me wrong, we should congregate and people should preach and all gifts are given for the edification of the body. But if you have that little shop of horrors mentality, feed me Seymour, then you're going to be easily sliding into idolatry. For those of you who've never heard of the play Little Shop of Horrors, some alien plant comes from another uh, comes from another planet, thus the term alien plant. And the guy finds the plant and he might have found the seed and planted it in dirt or he found the plant. And it was this little pretty looking little, but it was a living being and it liked blood. And so initially it's a little tiny plant. He used to feed him the blood from his own little finger. But as the plant got bigger and bigger and bigger, the blood from his finger was not enough. So we had to go bring them bodies and that so the plant could eat whole people. And then finally the plant got big and the guy got felt bad about feeding the whole people. So he, he, the plant, the plant, he wouldn't give the people, it wouldn't give the plant any more people. And the plant looked at them. The guy's name was Seymour. And he said, feed me, Seymour, feed me. Now, what the plant also had the power to do was to give Seymour favor. So Seymour was actually succeeding at becoming successful while he was feeding this plant. So the plant then finally said, hey, listen, man, you think you did all them things on your own? You ain't did them things on your own. I helped you do those things. And that's because you was feeding me. Now, feed me, Seymour. And sometimes we can get into a ministry movement where we just want to sit there and say, feed me, Seymour. And see, then that's when you're subject and you're, you're subjected to and you're a good possible victim for idolatry. Because you ain't they're not pushing your own relationship strong enough so that there's a proper balance between your ministry activity in which the edification of the body is being nurtured by the fivefold ministry movement, right? 
Someone who knows my ministry would go, I thought you didn't believe in the fivefold. I never said I didn't believe in the fivefold. What I said is that it's not something we can manhandle and put together. It's something that is manifested by the will of the spirit by coming together in consecration and submission. Sometimes we want to try to do something with our own hands when we really just need to participate so God's can, God can do it with his hands. But it says that the gifts are given for the edification of the body until the fullness of Christ. So the prophet is made the prophet so that he can prophesy to the body. And the preacher is made the preacher so he can preach and pastor the body. And the evangelist is made the evangelist so they can help win souls to bring them into the body. And each other ministry gift and each other office of gift is given for the edification of the body. But there needs to be a proper balance between what you're doing in the body and what you're doing for the body. And you really can't do much for the body if you're not in your relationship with God. So then in reality, there needs to be a balance between what you're doing corporately and what you're doing individually and if what you're doing corporately grossly outnumbers or outweighs what you're doing individually then by definition spiritually you are an adolescent now i'm talking to you in the prophetic don't argue with me i heard this prophet speak one day and he said i remember going to somebody and giving them the word of the lord and the person started arguing with me and i have to believe he's a prophet because when he said this i almost busted out laughing he looked at him and said really I'm going to give you the word of the Lord. You're going to argue with me. That's like walking up to the radio and arguing with what the radio has been saying. Because is it the radio talking or is it the, the, the anchor man who is speaking through the radio? I'm a radio. I really cannot believe I gave you the word of the Lord and now you want to argue with me. And I busted out laughing. Because he's right. If he, was, if he is truly a prophet and he truly gave you the word of the Lord, why would you be spending your time arguing with him? He's just a messenger. And so I don't want you to argue with me. Take it up with God. I believe this is a prophetic word from the Lord. I was not running this call this morning. Not because I didn't want to run the call. I don't want to run the call. I don't like the call. I, I wasn't running the call because I really didn't feel prophetically it was anything to speak. We spoke for five straight days. There was so much to come to reflect on. So I put out the message, do this exercise on your own. And I'll be back to bed. And God's like, no, 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 no. If you do that, they're going to think this is from you. And it's going to think you lazy or inconsistent. Get up, let's go. <laughs> so I came here, sat down, and this is it. So I believe this is the word of the Lord. If you, if we do not have stronger consecration of our in our own time, equal to or superior to our involvement in ministry-based consecration, then by definition we are adolescent, and we are in that feed me see more kind of situation. But the mature disciple is full of the spirit, consecrated, in relationship, in power, in glory, in majesty, in God. And they come to listen because they also can be edified. But they also come to serve, whether it be in worship, word, song, or prayer, or intercessory, because they're full and they come for the greater fullness and that's the maturity of discipleship in relationship. Wives, who really got to tell you about your husband? 
children who really got to tell you about your parents? Really? Dad, who has to tell you about your kids? Mom, who has to tell you about your children? So as men and women of God, we have our own independent, intimate relationship with God. And we should be nurturing that. Now, the church has been very happy at keeping you in a spirit of adolescency. Because in the spirit of adolescency, it's easier to control you. It's easier to hurt you. Because now I don't got to listen to your disagreement to my interpretation of a scripture. So the church has kind of cooperated with this, but that needs to stop. You have your own mind in Christ. How are you developing it on your own? Now, some people have taken it to another extreme. They don't want to hear nothing from nobody. That's another extreme that's not biblical. Because the Bible says the gifts were given each with their own gift for the edification and maturation of the body until the fullness of Christ. So you can't nullify that scripture by not wanting to be in fellowship and not wanting to hear a word and not wanting to commune in community. That's also ungodly because I'm biblical. We need to have a healthy balance between our intimacy with God in private and our intimacy with God in fellowship. One should not overwhelmingly dominate the other. Now, you might say, and some have said, you know, I hear you, but actually I got to keep my personal consecration up because when I get in fellowship, I got to already be prayed up. That already sounds like you've got some problems in your fellowshipping. And you need to check that. Yes, you need to check it if you find yourself needing to be super prayed up to go into fellowship with your brothers and sisters who are supposed to be in a spirit of agreement with you. Wow. God is dropping a bomb here. I'm going to have to re-listen to this. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we love our Father, and we know our Father loves us. He is eternally faithful, and we who are his elect will make it. Paul said he is convinced that nothing will separate us from the love of God, those of us who are his children. And so I believe that we are his children, and so nothing will separate us from his love. But let us always remember the immutable nature of his justice, which through the blood of Jesus calls for brokenness, contrition, submission, repentance, the right heart posture to receive, understand, mature, and change into the likeness of Christ. And God knows our weaknesses, and so does Christ. And he intercedes for us in our inequity so that we can still survive through the times despite our frailty. This isn't something that the world would just consider nonsensical babble. But you who are the children of God, you who carry the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, know exactly what I'm talking about.
Father Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your special name among men. We thank you for the glory of Christ that's shown among us. We pray, Father God, that we're able to continue in this walk and that we get stronger and stronger so we finish better than we start. We know that it's a marathon, not a sprint. And so let us have the right wisdom to pace ourselves, not to burn ourselves out or over push ourselves or throw ourselves into some sort of quandary that creates this immediacy that ultimately causes our fall. Help us, Father, to be consistent, persistent, and durable so that, again, we finish better than we started. And we pray, Father God, that you walk us through this. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And the body of Christ says, can we get an amen in the house of the Lord? Amen. 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 Uh, amen. Have a great morning and stay blessed.